The comments within the following podcast are those of any show hosts and not representative of any company in which the show hosts may represent. Welcome to the Tech Podcast, Podcast 356. It's been a month, but yet I've been trying to find things that are going to be completely different, but yet interesting at the same time. So here's what I've come up with for Podcast 356. I talk about my final attempt on Assignment 19 and my failure of the Braille transcription course. No, it's not my fault completely. I wish a little education was around, but at least I have an idea of what to expect should I choose to do this again. We have a company that might be getting themselves into some serious trouble, and this may have been talked about on the security box, I don't remember now, but it was quite interesting at that particular time. JAWS 2021 came out, and I highlight some of what's new in JAWS 2021. It was released November 12, 2020. We also have a new Mac release, and I talk about that. I talk about one of two different articles that has some good news, and I plan on doing some more blogging of things as well. And finally, an interesting retweet I saw, which might get people to laugh, as well as contact information. Quickly, contact information here. Email iMessage tech T-E-C-H at M-E-N-V-I dot O-R-G. Text or WhatsApp 804-442-6975. So without any further ado, here you all go. Here's podcast 356. Welcome to podcast number 366. Well, I want to give an update right now on the Braille transcription course. As you all know, I have been working on assignment 19. And sadly, after the third attempt, I still failed. Now, I'm not going to say that it was all my fault sure it was sloppy to begin with a lot of carelessness and a lot of it could have been avoided yes I read the book checked it numerous times even compared what the braille had 
versus what I was doing. But it has to go both ways. Instead of just talking about the Braille course, let's talk about instruction in general. If I were teaching a technology course and I asked you to do something and it had to be done a certain way, don't you think that I would be telling you what you did wrong completely and give you the opportunity to ask questions so that you could better understand what was going on? Now I know this is distance education, but I have tried numerous times to ask specific kinds of questions and I was met with, I don't understand your question. Now, this is beyond something that I will write about and that I'll speak about publicly. The long or the short of this is that I failed. I didn't do it to the standards that they expect and I know and understand that a transcriber has to have a high expectation of understanding and I do. A lot of my assignments were done two even three times. Now can I learn from this? Sure. I can take the reports that I've gotten and I can clean them up. Right? Some of them said you should fix these errors for your records and they passed me anyway. And there were more than five errors. So I know a lot of 19 was sloppiness, but one of the questions that I had had was, this is what it says in the Braille. I asked somebody what it looked like in print, and then I got challenged on who's helping me. Now, I did the work, and I took advice from other people. To heart. I understood what they were saying. But clearly, it was my choice to either follow or change or even keep what I've done. Now, with that being said, I know my teaching skills are definitely. Uh, different than others and I'm not going to say that the teaching skills of others are one way or the other bad but I know that if I were taking a class and I asked the teacher a question whether it's technology or anything else I would expect them to give me the best answer they could not I don't understand this question. So what can I learn? Well first 
I could learn that at the beginning I actually tried to use a note taker and I found that it was completely wrong that's how I started having problems the second thing is that I must get everything brailled from the very beginning saving the file as a note taker file or even saving it and reviewing it character by character wasn't sufficient and as the lessons got harder then it got more difficult secondly while I did understand and passed every single lesson except 19 correctly I know that my work is better than what I've done on 19. 19 is the most difficult lesson in here. And yes, I grumbled. And yes, I did a lot of complaining. Trust me. Because I feel that the lesson material is not something that I would completely understand since it's all crammed into one. It's all crammed into one. 19 covers a lot. And I know that I could do it. I know that. It is definitely something that I want to get better at. But without learning it and getting the proper understanding of how it's to be done, because reading, to be honest, doesn't quite do it at times. But I did it based on how I understood it and I read the special symbols pages which is part of where my errors were but they didn't cover every single symbol and how it was to be done it gave a subset of them and to be honest I don't know what I'm going to be transcribing and the course itself lent a challenge and I took that challenge I just don't know what the solution is at the moment and I'm not sure how to proceed Right now, at the time I'm recording this file for the podcast, I'm a little upset. I'm upset at the fact that I could do better. I felt I have corrected everything that I understood correctly. Simple errors. 
Well, how am I going to learn from what the symbol error is? I don't get a lot of what these errors are. You give me a page number and a line number and you tell me that it has an error. Well, how am I going to learn what it's supposed to be if you don't teach me what you're looking for? I mean, even on that assignment 18 with all of those poems and that crazy outline you know I just don't get it even then I had to get some help sure I passed a lot of them the first time after I failed several but it has to start in the way that you're being taught this is absolutely awful I know part of it was my doing I know that but you can't teach technology, you can't teach a class like Braille transcription the way that I felt that I was taught. It is absolutely wrong. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do at this point in time. It is something that I'm going to consider in the not too distant future. I am absolutely saddened. But at the same time, I want to do an audio and a complete blog post for each podcast that I've completed an assignment for so that people can hear what my progress is. So that's what I'm doing now. We'll continue with more of the program on Podcast 366 in just a moment. Welcome back to the podcast. Well, folks, I saw something of interest. And... For date reference, it is November 9th. Now, what was of interest? Well, turns out that a credit card processor might be getting themselves into some trouble. And this probably isn't good if the processor will be stripped from being able to process credit card transactions. 
I've talked on this process quite a long time ago and on a future security box we will discuss credit cards and we'll discuss what I believe you should be doing to make sure that you aren't being taken advantage of in today's environment. I have a blog post that I ended up editing because one of the things I thought about getting brailed was Wikipedia's article on PCI DSS. Now, this is a standard made up of all five credit card processing agencies. They are Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, and JCB Diners. It doesn't matter if you are a prepaid or a postpaid processor. Prepaid means that you put a certain amount of money on the card and that is your available source to spend. Postpaid is they provide you the credit and you pay the bill each month. Now what somebody chooses to use is a personal preference and how much money they have available to them. For example, let's take Herbie, the owner of 986 The Mix. Now let's say, for all intents and purposes, Herbie could only afford $50 a month to put on his card. He probably would want a prepaid card because he could then put that money on the card and use it for whatever services he wanted. Now if he did not have any thing to buy, then that money could be held and he could put more money and have a little more money to spend. Now I'm just using Herbie as an example, but many people might be in this situation. So that's all well and good, but do you really understand how it all works? Probably not. I recently got a new customer and he wanted to know how I was going to bill him. What was the name that was going to appear on the statement so that he didn't end up disputing the charge? He has every reason to ask me that question and we'll talk all about that in an upcoming talk on the security box. But for now, I gave him two possible solutions because I knew that I had changed it 
but wasn't completely sure of that. Now that I know that it's been changed, future bills will see that. But for an agency that processes millions and millions of transactions on the back end of many different types of websites, they might be billed under the website name that is doing the business. However, it's got to be stored somewhere. Well, that's where an article that I recently read comes into play. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because this is just going to take too long to go over the entire article. Suffice it to say, we have to talk yet again on this and the security box about misconfigured servers. Amazon Web Services is probably one of the cheaper services out there, but it's not for everybody. And I don't believe, but I'm not too familiar with them, so I can't say whether they offer web hosting services. If they did, now that would be awesome. Sign me up. It sounds like they are a provider that allows you to store backups of your data, like credit card transactions and the like. Well, we have another instance of this, and we don't know really what the solution is. Now, Amazon Web Services was contacted by these researchers in this article. And Amazon Web Services fixed it within a day. The company in question did confirm that they were the owners of said data. And now it's just up to the regulation authority that governs the PCI compliance team to decide what to do with the company in question. Now it's sad that we continue to have to talk about this because you think after the Capital One fiasco where Paige Thompson a former Amazon employee was able to get access to Capital One's and others' data and exfiltrate roughly 12 terabytes of data. This, I believe if my memory was serving me since I've read it, about 24 terabytes and 100 million customers at best. But the article goes on 
to say a lot more about what types of data was compromised. And it seems like we're not learning anything. It seems like we're still stuck in, oh, that was a one-off thing. It won't happen to me. I was telling somebody on Livewire just this afternoon, Monday, November 9th, that if I were to hear about this problem, whether it was Capital One or the article that we're talking about here, I would be going into my web services and trying to determine if I've set it up correctly. I don't understand why we can't learn how to set it up. Yes, we're in more of a hurry today than we've ever been before. But your customer's security is got to be your top priority. What's the company going to say? We're sorry for the misconfigured server. Your information is of importance to us. And while the websites that you shopped at are not responsible for our mistake, we're going to give you credit monitoring and we're going to give you this and we're going to give you that when the crimes could be a lot worse. According to the article, it's not going to be very pretty if people who are high profile and potentially have a lot of money get an email from an actor and or a phone call and being asked for money or anything else. We don't know what types of data were taken, but it was including name, credit card number, CVV, information about where they were staying, how many occupants, if that, and much more. I would suggest if you haven't read the article, that you do read the article. And what I'm going to do is link to my blog post which has a Wikipedia link to the PCI uh, DSS write-up, although a lot of the links are saying that they are promotional, so I would read that with a grain of salt. Uh, it's got some good relevant information and a basic knowledge of what it is, but again, Wikipedia isn't about uh, uh, posting links to other things unless it is a relevant source of information. So, I would read that, and uh, there are many different types of compliance for PCI DSS. And I would make sure, if you can, that the provider you use is compliant. So far, I've not heard anything 
about Stripe, the payment processing platform I use and have integrated into FreshBooks, the billing platform that I choose. So have you read this article? And if so, what do you think is going to happen? I sent it to somebody and they said, I've been breached again. What can I do so I don't get breached? The answer, close your credit card. Do everything you can in cash. Sorry, that's probably the only way to do it. And I was told that too. You know, close your card and pay everything for cash. And I'd say, I don't have that kind of money to pay for everything in cash. I couldn't get my Uber trips with cash. I couldn't get my Uber Eats with cash. And now that the bank seems to be closed, um, I don't know how I'm going to get cash. Uh, it is definitely <coughs> something that uh, I need to wonder about soon. But we shall see. I'm going to end the talk here, but note that we will be talking about this on a future security box more in detail when we talk about the credit card processing, how it works, how you're billed, and so forth. I'm Jared Reimer. This is Tech 366. Welcome back to the Tech Podcast, everybody. I'm Jared Reimer, and uh, today on this particular file, we're going to talk a little bit about JAWS 2021. There are so many changes that it's going to be hard to list everything. So when you go over to my blog at jaredtech.help or the URL technology.jaredreimer.net, you will find a complete list of changes and a link so you can go find any additional information you can go ahead and download your copy if you haven't already so what we're going to do is we'll talk about uh, what changes are around and uh, we won't cover each and every item but I think that you should have an idea of what's out there. You can go to freedomscientific.com and search for software updates and the link will be JAWS 2021 20, release 111220 and uh, that was last Thursday. I was notified when doing some rebooting uh, uh, and that was 
you know, normal routine for me. About once a week, I do that. And Jaws came out and said, new release, Jaws 2021. I then scheduled a time to actually download and install it and get everything back up and running, including my internet stream and the whole like. So, what's new in 2021? We have PictureSmart improvements. So now, in PictureSmart, with a capital letter, you can use other types of services. I tried it on the Freedom Scientific webpage and it seems to work quite well. Again, I'm not going to go through all of the items, but we'll highlight what's changed and new. OCR text into a Word document directly. I think that would be kind of nice. You get a PDF file and you open it and it says, I need to run an OCR and you say yes. So that's part of the convenient OCR. And uh, that will be kind of cool. You could use this with the Pearl camera or flatbed scanner. Now I got rid of my flatbed scanner because I just don't have the room here. You can now use the new command, insert space O and R. And that'll place the recognized text in uh, Word. Now I have Office installed. Uh, it is 2016. And uh, so I'm going to have to find uh, a PDF and see how that works. Uh, that's going to be kind of awesome. You can also use the context menu for the same uh, uh, for the same purpose. There's also a link in the uh, open in Word if you uh, let's say open the file in a PDF and you find that it needs to be OCR'd. So there's many ways to do this. Again, I. Haven't tried this yet, but uh, I also was only working on trying to get the text into a blog post, which you can find on my website. I've been playing with the new voice assistant because it attracted me, and there is a wake word for it, which I will not give you in the file. But the documentation tells you what the word is. I tried to use it to tell it to read to end. And it doesn't seem to be supported. But many different commands are supported. And the documentation covers it. The particulars of the uh, 
of the, the file that I'm taking from lists some of the commands, but of course it doesn't list all of them. Um, there's uh, documentation that talks about word commands, uh, web commands, and so forth. And I could see it being a benefit to people who have trouble using keyboards as discussed in the what's new in the web page and it's worth playing around with they have improved Microsoft Teams support there is a new keystroke for punctuation level there is now a way for announcing the most recent notifications and to manage those they remind you to press Windows A which I stumbled on by accident but now you can actually hit a command insert space N and that'll be the last notification spoken so if I got Dropbox running and it rattled something and I didn't hear it now I can I can press this and it'll pop that up. And if you use a focus brown display, you can use right shift N. So that is kind of awesome. There's now a Freedom Scientific support tool which if they need you to uh, utilize it during a support call it'll gather system information and things that they need there is also a feature for announcing accessible events automatic message reading in Outlook 365 I don't use Outlook for reading and there's a bunch of general changes including one that I wasn't sure if it was a bug or if it was me and I had been meaning to say something but I just let it alone in file explorer it wouldn't announce the correct number of files in the folder I noticed that in several directories of my Dropbox and first I thought it had something to do with Dropbox where yes you had all of your files but it has selective sync so like while it's there on your computer it actually will delete it and will download a copy when you access it like all my LLJFM programs from 31 onward that I haven't played uh, on the internet radio channel for example um, or I don't access something for a while um, it would tell me like there are 33 files but yet there are many many more than that and so I'm happy to see that uh, that's been fixed I wasn't sure if it was a bug or like I said a Dropbox issue that's where I m mostly saw it um, 
in Skype, when moving focus around, you don't need to use the alt and escape uh, keys as sometimes you would do when uh, performing some tasks. There's now a setting for pan text by paragraph for braille displays. In a Zoom meeting, you can now press Control Shift T who, to find out who's talking. Uh, Zoom had it as Control 2, but Freedom Scientific was using that f for uh, something else. The default graphic verbosity for JAWS is now speaking labeled graphics. That can be changed if you don't want to read labeled graphics or any graphics at all. When using certain keyboards, you can now press insert space grave accent to, tech, to uh, give you volume notification announcements. When you're using Microsoft Office and using it in tutor mode, there's uh, now uh, a notification here that states that they removed the announcement of tutor messages. And they were very verbose when navigating. When you press insert space H, instead of the last 50, they have now the last 500. I can also confirm that they have fixed something where, it's, where it was giving some sort of error. And I don't know if I went ahead and reported this, but I was seeing messages near the bottom that said, uh, say key prompt and, and some other things that didn't make sense to me, but I just ignored it. Uh, I don't, I thought I sent them an email about it, but I don't see that in this version now. And they also updated Braille drivers from Puppenmeyer. And those are all of the general changes, but for all about the new features, you can go to the Freedom Scientific webpage or my blog to read all about them. So I hope that uh, this is of value to some people. And, uh, you know, I'm here to uh, give you updates on all kinds of stuff. So... Uh, no matter what I use, I want to try and be fair and reporting stuff. Again, the URL to my blog is jaredtech.help or technology.jaredreimer.net.
Alright folks, maybe we'll do a little bit of security, but not a whole lot. I do have the security box for that, and it's a music and talk show, so we cover topics of all kinds of security. But since, since we have done the updates on JAWS, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about the Mac update. But there is one big concern, which isn't really a concern at all. You see, I was told about a particular problem with the Mac since it was released. And one particular article that was sent to me by Herbie Allen was of interest to me because it talked about something that was talked about in the mainstream security landscape several years ago, I believe, by Security Now's Steve Gibson. And he talked about OCSP stapling. We're going to talk about this in a future security box program because I believe it may explain some of the problems that people might be having. I'm not going to say one way or the other if the Macintosh is safe. I'm not going to do that at all. I'm not going to say whether it's safe to upgrade. With all operating systems, including Windows, you're going to have problems. But one of the side effects of those CSP stapling is that it is contacting a server to check for certificate validation. And if there are a lot of requests, then the server could be slow and that could hamper the computer's performance. Now I'm not a Mac user. I learned the Mac in I believe it was 2015 or 16 when I was at a day program that taught people how to behave in the workplace. Now I'm not saying that I was bad because I have lots of experience and I surely understand what I'm to do and not to do. But all of my experience is at home. So it was a great experience. But part of that was learning the Mac because the organization I was with had Macs and I did not know how to use one. Now I knew it had voiceover on it and I remembered the understanding of how to implement it. But I did not know how to use it. But that was many years ago and to be fair I don't have a Mac here 
and it would take me a little bit to remember how to utilize it. I think I could pick it up really quick and I still have a copy of the class I took because I specifically asked if I could tape that in case I needed that again. So it's all well and good that I did. Now if OCSP stapling is the big problem, I don't know if we can actually turn that off. And knowing that it's in the operating system is actually kind of interesting because it can validate certificates of developers, which in the long run would be much better. Now that's all I'll say on the security front in regards to what seems to be going on with Mac version 11, otherwise known as Mojave, I believe is its name. You can find more information on Apple Vista's website or go to my blog at jaredtech.help, type in Mac in the search box, and you can find some blog posts about the Mac. Probably the most recent one from that search will give you uh, that blog post. Now, be that as it may, um, the Macintosh operating system, like other operating systems, may have regressions in the way that it works with assistive technology. And uh, since Apple runs VoiceOver, you should contact them and let them know what types of issues you're having. Now, it is quite interesting that uh, Mac updated this month. I thought they update in October. But I suppose because of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we had have a little bit of a delay and uh, seems like lots of other things are delayed like a braille display that I was possibly looking at uh, being delayed because of the pandemic and it was supposed to be shipped at the end of the summer but it also got delayed uh, because of this pandemic uh, since the display is not available yet I'm not going to say any more about it until it officially uh, becomes available and I think since Braille 2000 wants to work with Braille displays, uh, I will be looking at getting one so that we can use it with Braille 2000 and report back our findings and we'll be able to uh, see what happens with it and how it behaves and everything else. 
I do know the particular display in question you have to tell JAWS to emulate it as a different display but that's easy enough um, I did get my Braille Sense to work with JAWS but I prefer not to have it hooked up um, mainly because I'm doing things a lot faster on the keyboard but uh, I think I'd rather have a 40 cell display anyhow I know I'm saying this too because uh, there could be some braille issues or fixes that might be of value to you and so you'll have to play with it and see how it works for you I don't remember all of the specific changes. I know AppleVis has a blog post, which I link to on my blog, and you can search my blog and or AppleVis for Mac, and I'm sure that it'll pop it up for you. Uh, Mac version 11, maybe. Uh, so I thought I'd spend a little bit of time talking about this release and mentioning the fact that this uh, new technology might have some drawbacks for you and it may cause you to think about whether you want to update or not but I don't know what other odds and ends might make you change your mind either so just go feel free to look it up uh, on your own time and make your own uh, decision based on that and again, the Braille display discussion wasn't meant to uh, take away anything, but to mention too that, well, I don't know if this particular new display is going to work with the Mac um, and VoiceOver. Um, you know, the Braille is supported in VoiceOver just like it is in the Windows screen readers and you definitely want to uh, take, take a look at uh, whether or not that is going to be uh, hampering uh, for you so uh, that's what I've got in the Mac world uh, we'll talk about OCSP stapling in more detail on the next available security box coming up uh, each and every Wednesday uh, normally at 11 Pacific that is 2 Eastern 1 Central Time on my independent artist channel server as part of 98.6 The Mix and you can check that out at your own time at the time I'm recording we will be changing the time of the security box um, so that I can do something else uh, as it is going to be close to Thanksgiving time so happy Thanksgiving to each and every one of you listening to this podcast we'll continue in just a moment
Well, there's definitely plenty of news. And you can check out the blog at jaredtech.help or technology.jaredreimer.net, whatever you'd like to use, because they both work. But isn't it funny when you finally see some good news? And we've got some good news around here in the form of two different articles and they'll both be up on the blog the one deals with uh, crime services being taken offline the article title from cyberscoop is police arrest 2 in connection with CyberSeal. Data Protector. Crime Services. And. Uh, in this particular article. These people were. Picked up. And. And. Uh, They wanted cheap access to victim computers. And they would have information stealing and ransomware attacks. And what makes it worse is that in this particular article, which I'll blog about, you can read later, talks about how uh, you would think that an antivirus product is installed. And uh, it would bypass a legitimate antivirus software. And if you hear a program like Data Protector, you would think that this is some sort of uh, protection program for viruses, worms, and Trojans and now ransomware protection. We've talked about through the years many types of programs and even Michael in Indiana and others have talked to me about their experiences with scareware. Now without going through all of the article it definitely feels like the people behind what they were trying to do were trying to scare people by saying that your data would be protected. I don't know what the other name would imply. But this is definitely something that we need to be mindful of. Um, Michael told me about a story with somebody many years ago. The person is unknown to me, but uh, he told me the relationship, you know, whether it was friend, significant other, or the like. 
and they wanted to buy a program and he would do an internet search using his favorite search engine and came up that this was a bad program and he had to do it at least twice even though they wanted to just pay for the program and it turned out in both cases that Microsoft Security Essentials uh, picked up these programs and were able to remove them in a specific way which was never disclosed to them and that made this very interesting because now we've got two new types of programs out there that are out there that make this news so I will be blogging about this and uh, I'll be telling you to go visit the blog for more on this particular ordeal it's going to get very interesting out there with that in the other piece of good news we are looking at sim swappers you know simulated swappers going in with your simulated card that is used to tell your phone number for your device on your carrier and they go in they use social engineering and they take your number away from you and they can then reset anything that's tied to your number using a password reset and you have no idea well some people were picked up for that too and uh this will definitely be worth uh, talking about and Krebs on security has this one and it's already up on the blog the convicted sim swapper gets three years in jail but I think the biggest question is is three years enough for damaging somebody's reputation and resetting passwords to accounts that they have at various places and causing havoc to services and things that the actor who did this don't have any business controlling I don't know I have mixed feelings whether three years is enough The number, as I wrote, is ported from one provider to another. The SIM swapper indicates that they lost their phone. They provide all of your information. And then they can go ahead and do what they want with that account. Um, as, well, as long as they have control over it. They... Uh, they say that while two-step authentication is good with uh, the short messaging service 
uh, facility, otherwise known as SMS, you should try and change that everywhere you can where it comes to particulars of services that have other authentication methods. Now, we talked about two-factor, and there are the TNOs. And I know Michael's position. Michael's going to say, uh, well, I used this one, and it was crap because it locked me out because I forgot my code. Well, I understand that, Michael. And everybody else who has that type of problem, you're not the only one. But for the tech podcast's purposes, I don't want to recommend a TNO because not everybody's going to understand the ins and outs of it, and they don't tell you it's TNO until you actually need to recover it because you lost your access, and that's not good. I don't think that's good for my listeners. Now that program was Authy. And it's a good program, and it does what it's supposed to do under the TNO brand. But you can definitely use Google Authenticator as your one-time password generator. You can use LastPass Authenticator as your LastPass as your um, authenticator, so it'll give you six-digit codes. You can treat them like passwords. They change every 30 seconds, and I think both of those will do people on this podcast quite well. I know LastPass Authenticator is accessible, and you don't necessarily have to have the same for a password manager. You can use Dread Micro or some other password manager and use Google Authenticator or LastPass Authenticator to do your two-factor. You could consider them like passwords. Um, they kind of are. The companies aren't going to ask for them. And so that is the biggest thing that you can take away is that it is going to be more secure and so if your number does get swapped, you can still get into your stuff even if you don't have your number. Now I know a lot of services ask for your phone number. And I got to thinking about that a little bit more. And I suppose we can have a big discussion on this. But I know the security box is going to be quite busy with topics and so uh, we can definitely discuss it here I can have people come on and leave their thoughts on what they think uh, we should do in regards to phone numbers but I recently was checking out an app that gives me a phone number and it is a text and voice app It's called TextNow, and there's many different applications in your app store that could do the same type of thing. You could pay them for the number or have a free number, which 
you would have to text at least once every 30 days or place a phone call to keep the number. That's easy to do. You just dial, you know, your own cell phone number and you can, like, leave yourself a message or something. You don't have to use it. I put $5 on it in case I need to make international calls and uh, I can use it as uh, a second phone number to my Skype or my Google, which I don't have credit on, so I could make US calls on it. I have Skype and outbound calling and I pay for that. So depending on my needs and who I'm calling and my trust level will depend on what I want to use and that's that's what that's about. <clears throat> but we could definitely talk about you know services that aren't trustworthy with you know all of this data that they so want. Um, it's 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 impressive to see that uh, people are now getting arrested for these types of things, and it can definitely only get better over time uh, with more and more people understanding that uh, this type of thing doesn't pay. But I don't know if three years is enough. I honestly don't think three years is going to cut it with. Uh, teaching people that it's not okay to take somebody else's number and do stuff with it. Your thoughts on the Tech Podcast. Contact information coming up. Here's a little something that I thought you should find a little humorous. It's a retweet, as I just said. Me. Quote, I had to use the browser version, end quote. Text on screen, quote, I hope your brother, virgin, not what you want to send your university administrators, exclamation point. The hashtag, dictation fails. Email iMessage tech, that's T-E-C-H at M-E-N-V-I dot O-R-G text or WhatsApp 804-442-6975 and I hope that you'll enjoy this podcast and you continue to stay tuned as we'll try to find some different stuff so we don't get all caught up in doing two versions of the same podcast And until that podcast comes out, I'm Jared Reimer. Thanks so much for listening. Make it a great day.